Welcome to The Meteor Podcast, a weekly news show about what's going on in the media community. This episode is for Friday, July 17th, 2015. This week's episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They are the single best hosting option available for Meteor right now. Go to Modulus.io and check them out. They offer a marketplace, they offer you Mongo databases, it's very easy to integrate with other Mongo databases. You know, they offer WebSocket support with sticky sessions. They do everything right for your Meteor app. I use them for everything that I'm doing. I would highly recommend you use them as well. Modulus.io. Welcome, Meteor fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host, Dean Radcliffe. Welcome, Dean. Welcome back. I think I actually like this uh, rotating co-host thing. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I know, like, we'll save this till the end, but I know you got some exciting news too, so it's good to have you on this week. This week, we are going to be talking about the dark side of the moon, which I guess is a reference to the bad things of meteor, but (laughs) the moon's not really a a meteor, is it? It's a moon. (laughs) Just Uh, just saying. Packaging UX Gravity Hurts. Easily debugging Meteor, astronomy, not to be confused with astronomer, and uh, Crater AMA. Let's get into it. Did you read this, this article, Meteor, the Dark Side of the Moon? I did earlier in the week, and it's, uh, you know, got a couple of things in there. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much a fanboy, but I, I like hearing people's critiques. Yeah, what were your thoughts on it? Mm. Yeah, I was like very unimpressed. I actually, so the the article that I put out yesterday about debugging Meteor came out of, you know, like reading this article and I'm just like, man, like, I don't, I don't know. Debugging is not that hard. And I, I literally Googled, like one of the complaints is that debugging is really hard with Meteor because all you have is console.log. And I'm like, ooh, that's so not true. Not true. So yeah. not true at all. Yeah. And so like I just... I Googled Meteor Debug, right, just to see what would come up. And the first two hits talk directly about how you can easily debug server-side. And so, you know, I don't know. Like, this this just feels like these things aren't that hard. Like, I, the lack of structure, yeah, that, that could maybe be a little difficult. And if you're not a disciplined developer or an experienced developer, I could see where you might struggle a little bit here and there. But the the fact of the matter is that's like, a cultural discipline thing to me, not necessarily a problem with Meteor. You know, like you should be free to name your files however you want and yeah, kind of put them where you want them to be, in my opinion. I'm going to be doing more uh, Meteor projects and wondering, you know, whether the lack of structure will bite at some point, but there is going to be a, a suggested opinionated structure coming out right for 1.2 this summer. So it might be a fair criticism now if you feel that that kind of dictated from on high structure is good. But I go back to like basic principles like Bob Martin had a talk called Screaming Architecture said that like when you open, for example, a Rails app, the folders, you know, models, views, controllers being the top level of organization tells you nothing about, you know, what is the domain of this application? Like, right. So he advocated for a more component oriented approach. The differential boilerplate kind of kept 
for a given component, the HTML, JS, CSS files together. Um, I like that. I like components being local to each other, uh, maybe even tucked into their own packages. But I like the flexibility and the good news with the 1.2 opinions uh, is that they're going to be more suggestions than commandments. But I, I think that for a lot of people, having a, a standard way of doing things can ease the cognitive burden of getting started. But I think when you've done a few, you know how you want to structure them. And I think it's an advantage to, to not have to fit into one structure. Totally agree. I mean, I, th- I think you should have the flexibility to do what you want. And so some of the other complaints have to do with like the live reload, you know, like he's, he says he's got 300 files and whenever he changes something, it takes at least five seconds to reload. And so like just today, this even came up, like I asked someone like, what, what's your, or I tweeted, like, what's your favorite part of Meteor? And someone responded and said, I actually hate live reload, especially when I'm working on my local MacBook, like it's terrible. And someone else responded and said, oh, I love DDP. And then the second guy saw the first guy's response and he's like, oh, hey, just do, you know, Meteor run dash dash once and it won't do the live reload anymore. Problem solved. Is this really that hard? And so like the guy linked to a Stack Overflow post, but again, seems like a non-issue to me. I'm on, I think, a 2012 MacBook Pro Retina, and I seem to be working pretty fine. I mean, I don't really have any complaints about live reload. Uh, Then he went on to talk about debugging. That's what really got me, because it's like, you know, this isn't really a thing, you know? Like, he says, debugging on the client works well enough using Chrome developer tools, period, Things get hairy on the client when something goes wrong with your templates, which I disagree with that as well. Uh, That's not hairy at all. And then uh, debugging the server side is quite complex, and you have to use the old-fashioned console.log. And so we'll get into the other options when I talk about uh, the debugging story. But, I mean, this is just, it's all false. And I left some comments. Another complaint was production. When it's your turn to deploy on a bare metal server, it's not as easy as Meteor deploy to command. So it's not deploy. Yeah. Like I don't, (laughs) number one, you can't fault a framework for giving you a very easy deployment command. You can actually host with CNAME on meteor.com. I did it for a while with the meteor club podcast site and it it works. Okay. You know, the only downside is there's no support, right? Like when, when meteor.com hosting breaks, who do you email? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they don't they just don't have SLAs and all that kind of thing. And clearly they're working on it, but you know, DigitalOcean, like I I literally set up a new site the other day for the Media Club podcast and it took me about 5 minutes. It took me another 5 minutes to get Nginx and SSL set up because I wanted that stuff on there as well. But okay. you know, literally half that was probably spinning up and waiting for it to start and then the other half was just issuing like MUP setup and MUP deploy. <laughs> right, right. I mean, this, this stuff was a no-brainer to me. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just yeah, well, it, it sounds like this user uh, has definitely done some work with Meteor and maybe just, you know, needed like a platform for venting. Well, I guess they do have a good parts. Not that good. Oh, they so do, but- write a strictly positive uh, article because I'm sure they've worked with it enough to have seen some of the benefits as well. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, the thing is he starts getting into this. So Meteor is only about a dev workflow. Yes. Like, it's no, great. absolutely it's not. I would completely destroy it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in, in the end, he says, bottom line, Meteor is a very good idea and a good framework, but be sure that you need all the features provided by Meteor, which I don't think is true. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it as a primary choice except to build a prototype to test your idea and move forward in a learning process. And he said leaning process. <laughs> I sometimes also make typos and blog posts. But, uh, you know, to me, like, this is terrible. Like, I, just because, like, you are either not a great developer or you, you didn't really, like, Google well enough to find the answers to your questions doesn't mean that, that this is a terrible framework or platform. Uh, I see plenty of businesses, like large businesses, starting to grow out of Meteor. And I think it, it works absolutely great. Yeah. And uh, if Meteor is the dark side of the moon, and Dark Side of the Moon was one of the greatest selling albums of all time, then, uh, uh, then bring it on. Yeah, yeah, really. So, you know, I do think maybe there's a, there's a few legitimate complaints in here, but overall I would say this was, to me, an uninformed post. And I hope people like this reach out and try to find help somewhere before they, they trash something as saying that it's, it's not really worth using. Yeah. Just my two cents. Indeed. All right. So. You know what's been bringing me down lately, Josh? What's that? Gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Just lately. <laughs> nice. Tell me about this post, because I actually haven't seen it yet. You just put it up on Crater, like right before we went live. Well, yeah, yeah. I just uh, popped it up on Crater because uh, as I was, so I made that package kitchen and, and really did like some deep dives, as you have uh, too, Josh, into, you know, packaging and the relationships between packages and, and how to write them and declare dependencies. And so uh, this article was uh, someone posted in an issue in my package kitchen that it's always a bad idea to declare your dependencies when you're writing a package without a version number. Uh, now that might be common sense to some, but when I whipped up package kitchen, the dependencies that I put in there did not have at sign the specific version number. And I didn't really understand what the at sign meant and was kind of curious why a new uh, way of using Semver was invented. I mean, I, I'm familiar with Node stuff, so I didn't really know the semantics of what, what it meant. So this article is a hackpad where, I'll read you some of the, the top points on here, is that Meteor does not always choose the latest version, particularly when you depend on a package, that package depends on another package. They have, in their constraint solver, some rules that they call gravity, which kind of pin you to older versions than you think. And bottom line is there's conflicts uh, between the documentation and the implementation. What may be happening, uh, let me see if I can use a specific example in here. If I depend on a package that lists an at sign 1.2 dependency, and that dependency goes up to 1.3, it will 1.3 will not automatically be pulled in by the constraint solver because it is 
assuming that maybe the author of the package that you depend on doesn't know about 1.3. And so it's almost like the caret symbol in Node that kind of pins you to patch versions. It's very hard to explain. It's a mouthful. Um, the bottom line is even people who've been working with a package system for a long time might not be aware of some of the uh, more subtle behaviors of it. This, this says latest changes three months ago, so this seems a little bit older. I'm trying to think back. Three months ago would have put us into April. So this would have been just after probably 1.1 came out. And with the so, constraint solver. Yeah, with the new constraint solver and all that stuff. So, Yeah, well, so this is like a design behavior of the constraint solver. So here's kind of like the, the guiding advice is that if you're authoring a package, you must publish a new version of your package if your dependencies go up in number. So the user of your package doesn't automatically get the, those, your dependencies upgraded for free. Right. So you'll have to upgrade them and push them out, which kind of retains a little bit of control in, in the package author's department. So the flip side of that is if, you're, if you've got an app and you're using a package that has, it's called the transitive dependency, the dependencies of your dependencies. Mm -hmm. If one of those transitive dependencies has been upgraded, you can tell the constraint solver, pull in the latest version by doing meteor add of that higher version of the transitive dependency. And that will be okay. Apparently there's also some behavior that's different, whether you're running uh, Meteor test packages or whether you're running your application, it might pull in different versions of the transitive dependencies depending on which route you go. So um, I think this is just as the constraint solver came out, a lot of people discovered that it didn't do what they thought it did or what other packaging systems might do. And you know, they'll say, I want the last 24 hours back. Don't ask me how many hours we wasted trying to figure out why our tests were failing, right? So there's some pain in the community that it doesn't do what people think it ought to do. Yeah. Version gravity. Version yeah. gravity. Yeah, yeah. I think number one, like the biggest thing is this needs to be somewhere else, right? Not off hidden in a back room. I don't want to say back room, right? Like it's publicly available, but like in a, in a out-of-the-way place, hack pad, you know, like this should be documented somewhere for package authors. And I don't think it is. I don't know. Yeah. I, well, could, I could be wrong. Some of the documentation is inconsistent with the implementation. And so uh, I don't know where that documentation lives. I assume on docs.meteor.com. That's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah. This, this would be interesting to tear into. I, you know, some of this, like I, I've been looking at it and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about like the lack of documentation on debugging server side. It should live in Meteor Docs, you know, and it came out right as 1.0 was coming out. And I think that uh, developers were pushing hard to get features in and maybe less hard to get the docs where they needed to be. And like, honestly, you could probably employ like two or three people just to work on docs full time to keep up with the pace of media, in my opinion, and get them where they need to be. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I often have complaints like uh, Spacebar's docs. They don't exist anywhere in Meteor documentation whatsoever. You actually have to go into the Meteor GitHub repo and you can find they actually have some nice readme's, but they're in the 
in the GitHub repo, not. No. Oh, okay. Not in the Meteor docs. So. Yeah, and then there's also this manual.meteor.com that uh, is a deep dive on reactivity, but it talks in terms of depths, and depths has been tracker for quite some time now. So. Right. Well, so here's the thing. Like, if you look at manual.meteor.com, I remember when they hired this person, the person, like, it just, the writing process wasn't working very well, and so oh. uh, she ended up leaving. And so, like, you, you have this, like, crossover where I think you have to at least be a developer to be writing docs to some degree um, because you have to have a fundamental understanding of how all that's working. And so that I think it makes it harder to hire for that position because developers don't like writing docs. (laughs) True that. So any technical writers who want to uh, knock on MDG's door who are listening to this podcast, please do so. Well, and you know, here's the kicker too, right? Like, documentation is technical debt. So anytime you make a change, you got to go update that, that documentation, you know? And, and, and so that, that's also like an extra layer of discipline you have to have in place. And that's where a lot of people tend to fall down. And if you look at like rails for guidance, they had the, the rails guides, right. And uh, that was yeah, a yeah. big community led effort. There was really no, monetary exchange going on there or you know people were just giving freely of their time in a wikipedia-esque fashion it helped but you know at the same time like every time a new version comes out like i'm sure a lot of that team's gonna have a heck of a time when rails 5 comes out you know (laughs) so i don't know it's tough it is tough so you said that they uh can can use uh more information on debugging Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that was, that was one of those things. I, uh, I've actually been emailing back and forth with Sashko after I posted um, the post on debugging. And he's like, this is, this is good stuff. And I agree this should be in the docs. Cool. And so I just said, like, if I send in a PR, because I still, I know you, you've got a PR sitting out there. I've got a PR sitting out there. Like, no one wants to do work that's never going to see the light of day. That can be frustrating in and of itself. So, I just said to him, like, you know, if I if I write up some addition to the docs, you know, do you think you'd help me get it reviewed and and pulled in if it's decent enough? And he said, absolutely. I, I try to be on top of uh, documentation pull requests like 100% of the time if I can. So um, he's he's definitely wanting to see that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, debugging. Um, like I said, I, I read that article and just kind of like, oh, wow, like there must be a lack of knowledge about debugging and media. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll just, I'll outline all the things and we'll see what that looks like. And so I started making the outline and I realized there's actually quite a lot of different ways to debug and meteor. So the gist of it is, right, like for me, whenever you come into a, a language, you've got something like console.log or print or printf yeah. or something like that, you know, and that's, yeah. that's your first debugging tool and the one you'll never put down. Yes, very true. Very true. Yeah. It's definitely like sometimes it's the easiest, right, to get going. Right. right. Um, but then I think you, there starts to be this uh, slowness because your code has to restart and your, everything has to rerun for you to get that console log again. And so the, the cycle of tracking down the actual problem starts to become a little longer. Oh, yeah. You can um, do better with a, a real graphical debugger. Yes. Well, yeah, it doesn't even have to be graphical, right? Like, it can just be 
Well, well, like Meteor Shell, right? And most people don't know about Meteor Shell. And so if you have a running Meteor application in the same folder, in your same Meteor app folder, you can type Meteor Shell and it will run and connect into the other running application and allow you to issue uh, commands. You know, yeah. it's like a, it's an IRB or a REPL basically for Meteor yeah. itself. That is quite handy. And they have autocomplete. Like they did a really nice job with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can type meteor dot and then hit tab and it'll give you all the options uh, that 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 object has underneath it, uh, which is pretty awesome. And then you you can run all kinds of things. You know, you can make meteor calls if you need to. You can, um, you know, put in some data and play with that and like run underscore commands on it if you need to. Like you basically do everything that you could do. Right. Uh, and the, razor, the, the regular Chrome tools or Chrome DevTools console, but you get access to all the Meteor server environment as well. And so the next option would be the Chrome DevTools. You know, obviously you can inspect Element and open that up and pull up the console and you start doing things and interacting. And again, you can do a lot there, right? You I mean, can, you can. You can easily type Meteor subscribe or you can do meteor.user or uh, you can run underscore there you can play with jQuery for targeting like just all kinds of different things but I think the thing and this is what we were talking about before the show you took my master in meteor class and I think it surprises me the number of people that don't understand the basics of JavaScript debugging and so built into the core of JavaScript is the fact that you can actually just type debugger anywhere in your code it puts the, a breakpoint right there for you. And so in the article, I talk a little bit about what a breakpoint is, but it's basically just a pause right there in the environment. And then you start playing with the code. And I think this is the most powerful of options, in my opinion, because you can start looking at variables, you can make your calls and look at the results, or you know anything you need to do, you can do right there in the environment that the code's running. And you can, right. you can kind of inspect everything, you know? And so that's right. super, super helpful. So... By default, if you have the Chrome DevTools browser open, then when you put that debugger command in, it's going to pause right there when it hits that in the execution. And, you know, you'll see it pop up and there'll be like a gray overlay on your screen with a pause and play button and all that kind of stuff. And then if you want to, on the surfer side, you can use debugger as well. And so early on, this was kind of painful. Like you'd have to fire up Node Inspector and like... yeah tell Meteor to run and use that. Um, but uh, as of like 094, they baked in the Meteor debug command, which does all the wrapping for you. And so when you type, you, you just kill your server and type Meteor debug, it'll start it back up and it'll put all the node inspector stuff in for you. And in the logs, the running Meteor logs, you'll get, you'll get a little line that says, you know, connect here to get to your node inspector. And you just pop that in and you get a little Chrome looking window, like the DevTools looking window. And, yeah. you know, wherever your debugger's at, once you hit that line of code, it'll pop in that extra browser window and show you like, oh, here's your code environment. You get a console, you type things in. It works really, really well, you know? Yeah. And I think just most people don't know about that. Everyone is always surprised when I show them that feature. And, you know, it's been there for since probably October. <laughs> oh, the Meteor, uh, Meteor Debug has been mm-hmm. since October, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's, it's always supported Meteor Debug. 
or not meteor bug, but node inspector. Like you were always able to use that too. So I don't know. Right. Right. Last but not least is the, uh, the mobile browser. This one was a little bit newer to me. This is new to me. January. Uh, I've figured this out, but you can just open up Safari. And if you're running an iOS simulator or you're running an attached USB device, right? So like I take my phone and plug it into my computer and pull up uh, some kind of web view based something on there. Then you get this like in the, in the article, I've got a screenshot. You can go to develop and you'll have a list of, you know, your computer and the iOS simulator or the device. And you can see all the processes you can attach to. And basically, it'll just fire the Sweet. the dev tools and connect to that device. And then you can start issuing commands and breakpoints and all kinds of things, which is super helpful. Right, um, right. Even if nothing else, like, let's say someone comes along and says, oh, hey, Crater is not working right on my iPhone. Like, how do I debug that? Because you don't, you don't get dev tools here, right? No, no, no. Um, and so, like, I can totally just pull Crater up in Safari on my phone and then connect in and start debugging it. So even if you're not doing Cordova, it's super handy. But if you are doing Cordova, you can connect to your Cordova application as well. And uh, from my understanding, I link to uh, the Android process. I don't have an Android phone. I've never had to do it. But uh, mm-hmm. from what I hear, it works the same. You know, you just connect it via USB, open up Chrome, and then there's a little command you issue in the window and it'll connect in and you can start debugging that view as well. Okay, yeah, and they've cleaned that up since uh, the Android is a little simpler than it used to be Yeah, doing Android. So, yeah. But that's great. This is good to put all the debugging info in one place. Definitely. So, you know, and it was funny because it's one of those like, it seems like basic knowledge to me, but maybe if nothing else, someone can read this article and probably pick up at least one new thing from it, you know, if not two, three, four, five different methods they didn't know about. Yeah, I'm going to put on like my grumpy old man hat and, and say like, you know, the, before unit tests, like the best you could do was uh, attaching a debugger. That was just the go-to thing. And then I think it, it fell out of favor for like a whole generation uh, of developers where, you know, your tests were how you could, you know, isolate a piece of code, you mm-hmm. know, and, and interrogate it. And it's good. It's good to have a test suite. This like console log is, is never going to go away as a, as a hard-hitting tool when you really need to rip open your code and you don't know, you don't need to know exactly what you're looking for because all of the variables values will be listed for you. And so it kind of allows you to discover as you go. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when I, your, uh, approach. yeah, that's when I tend to use it, you know, it's like I'm working with an API and I'm going to make a call and I don't know what the data structure looks like coming back. Like, I'll then maybe throw a console log just so I can see the data structure and kind of keep going from there. Yeah. That's pretty common for me. But, you know, I think the biggest thing here is like, you know, most of this stuff, when I Googled, the answers were right there. Like the number one, two, and three results all talked about how to debug Meteor server side. So, you know, Google for things, people. (laughs) <laughs> well, an important developer skill, I think. <laughs> Number one, I think. Yes. It's funny you bring up tests too, because I kind of struggle with that. I actually had a section in there early on, like tests also kind of count as debugging to some degree. But 
it didn't feel quite right. So maybe I'll put up a separate article or something. I think the debugger or the REPL, the meteor shell or, or the Chrome inspector is kind of where you get the raw material mm -hmm. to make your tests from, right? That's where you can like see what things are. Yeah, and you're kind of like playing with it, you know, and, and, yep. and seeing how you maybe want some code and then you can take that and, and formulate a test. Yeah. And then, you know, the tests, they're not there to help you debug now. They're there to help you debug later, right? And right, right. they're really not there to help you debug later. They're there to help, you know, other people that broke crap that they didn't realize they broke <laughs> know that they need to debug something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So tell us about astronomy, not astronomer. <laughs> astronomy. That is, uh, you know, I'm seeing this trend. Uh, we've talked about a couple different shows towards enhancing your Mongo objects and turning them into full business logic objects, right? And uh, all the advantages and pitfalls of that. It was uh, collection helpers, deep girls, I believe, collection helpers. So astronomy, I haven't used it, um, but it definitely looks like it is another step in the iteration towards smarter objects that come out of your collections. So of course, they're not stored as smart objects. They're stored as just the data. But um, through some magic, which I haven't seen how he does, when you do your find, you get an enhanced object. It can use setters and getters, uh, nested fields, um, have typed uh, type checkers. I think it integrates with schemas. I hope that's not too loud in the background. There's an epic ping pong match going on. Nice. Just, a, a f a, you know, trying to be a, a full encapsulator of your data. Yeah. 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 I, so I think under the covers, it's really just using transform. So it works like a lot of those other packages, but it's, it's okay. trying to be more comprehensive than say, you know, you putting together collection helpers and collection hooks and a couple other packages that might achieve the same thing. Like he's trying to house it all in one spot for you with nice documentation and clean API. It looks interesting to me. I'll say that much. Like I haven't used it either. He emailed me. He's like, how do I get more people? And I'm like, well, like, I think it's good docs more than anything. That's, that's always going to be key. And like examples and blogging about it. Like that's how you get people to change their mind or try your stuff out. And uh, I don't know. I think he's, he's definitely on the right path. I don't have a project that I'm greenfielding right now. If I did, I might actually give it a try and see how it works. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm impressed. Uh, he, he definitely did his, his homework on certain things. Like um, if you, if you have found a model object and you have a reference to that object and you're looking at a particular field of it in a helper, um, there are certain contexts where you won't be reactively notified. Um, so he found some maybe uh, leaks in the reactivity abstraction um, that he claims to have patched here. And, you know, since I have never observed those, I can see how they're possible, but it's, it's neat that, you know, someone could have found a context where reactivity uh, might not work automatically and say, oh, you know, here's how you patch it. So it's pretty neat. Uh, keep it up. Uh, who's this? Uh, someone from Warsaw, Poland. I forget his name. Jaggy? Jaggy? I don't know how you say it. J-A-G-I. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep it up. He's got 854 
downloads of the core uh, project right now, 54 stars. So it, it looks like it's getting attention. That's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and just like you heard me say astronomy, not astronomer. Astronomer is the, uh, the thing that Rye Walker is working on the startup for doing user analytics tracking and that kind of thing. So right, right. two different things there for sure. All right. So this question came up in my, uh, the AMA I did. So I did a AMA on crater and I got a lot of questions. I was quite surprised. And at first I thought they were all going to be like highly technical. So not like, the first one that I see on there. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go all the way down to the bottom, the okay. guy got like a lot of downvote hate for, it. I think he was asking like, how do I get a hamburger menu to work? And I was like, what? And he's like, can you post a, a working example using these libraries of getting a hamburger menu to work? And I was like, eh, maybe this AMA was a mistake. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, you know, I don't have a lot of spare time. So I tried to at least answer and say like his lack of posting any code uh, made it kind of hard to even respond, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but I told him take it to Stack Overflow if he's still having problems. But, you know, there were a lot of good questions in here about, um, you know, what someone asked, what kind of feature would you like to see land in, in um, Crater? And uh, I said, uh, or in Telescope, and I said, I'd love to see like a shadow banning or a hell banning package. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, you can get shadow banned on Reddit or hell banned on Hacker News. And, Basically, you're able to do, huh? What does that mean? What does that mean, shadow banned? Yeah, so you're able to do whatever it is you want to do on Reddit, but no one ever sees it. Oh, I see. That's the same that... with hell banning. Like, you can go upvote, and, like, you press the button, page refreshes, it looks like your upvote was there, but if you go over to your buddy's machine and he takes a look, your upvote was never counted. Right, someone posted something called echo chamber, uh, that, that did the same thing. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, here's the thing. Like people are now coming on and creating spam accounts on Crater and like they'll just reuse that same account over and over again. And it's like, you know what? If you want to fill up my database, that's cool. As long as it's not bothering other users or sending out emails, go ahead, right? Like I'll go out, like when it becomes a problem, when I get over a gig of data, like maybe I'll go clean it up. But like... I'd rather just have that hell banning or shadow banning in place because I, I'd love to just, uh, instead of deleting an account, I'd rather just say like, yeah, let's just like make them disappear off the site. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they think they're still spamming, but you know, no one's getting bothered. So. Huh? Yeah. That would be kind of nice. I think. Um, let's see what other, interesting questions here. What is your automated testing process? Uh, so for me, you know, I answered, I start with Cucumber. That's in the end, you know, your users are going to use your application and you should really be thinking about the UI that they get. Uh, yeah. And so that that's super important. And I think Cucumber forces you into that mindset. And then from there, I start to work my way down into Jasmine. And so like lately I've been doing publication testing with Jasmine and that kind of thing. That's kind of nice as well. So Sashko actually asked me a question from MDG and he said, what do you make of like the upcoming 
support for things like React and Angular, like how is that going to affect people who are building packages? Uh, for example, like Autoform, like what's going to happen to Autoform? Right. Do they have to, out? how do they choose which one to support or do they have to try to support both? What do you think about that? Yeah. So I kind of threw it back at him and I'm like, I, this would be a question I would ask you, like what's, what's the guidance here? But to me, like I'd, I'd either love to see like a web.blaze in the package system, you know, like right now you can say web.browser or web.cordova. Maybe it makes sense to say like web.blaze or web.react. And then I could write files that support both environments, but only load them depending on whether they're. Oh, God. Well, and then, you know, then you've got, you got the, the web.browser.blaze. Mm. web.browser.angular, web.cordova.blaze. Uh, it sounds like a nightmare for package authors. I think that... It like, could be, right? And I that's... That, you know, it would be nice if you explicitly declare your dependency on Blaze and be like, I am a, a Blaze package. I don't see how a package author has the time uh, to, to span three different front-end toolkits. If you're making something that works well with Blaze, you know, good job. Like, the fact that someone else decided that blaze wasn't in their use case well then they they you know have to live without your little your your blaze enhancer thing i mean i don't discourage something as standard as uh you know simple form which is like almost a standard right everyone's using it someone someone like uh aldeed will probably have to consider you know maintaining these things if he wants to be the simple form package but he might just have to collaborate with people who do things the Angular way to kind of maintain a fork of simple form Angular and React people to do simple form React. I mean, they're just, they're just not the same. I mean, when you build a package, you're choosing a starting point to enhance. And, you know, the fact that other starting points exist, it just becomes uh, too, too impossible to keep up with every new one that may came out. Yeah. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, I would kind of agree. And, you know, listening to you talk, I think maybe the smarter move is to go for like a uh, package of packages, right? Like go for the conglomerate package that will give you what you need, right? And so uh, if you look at user accounts, for example, you can get user accounts bootstrap, you can get user accounts ionic, uh, but underneath it's got user accounts core and that kind of ships to all the different packages. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you've got this, like, UI-specific, like, this one's CSS UI-specific, but, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see, like, uh, user accounts react at some point. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, I think it's going to get complicated now that we have, like, multiple kind of CSS frameworks and multiple front-end frameworks. Like, it could get a little hairy for a package author. I think you're right. Like, it just it can it's going to take a lot of discipline to pull off something like that. Right. And I don't necessarily want to get uh, the Facebook, uh, you know, JSX runtime um, because I depended on a package that tried to be everything to everybody and it, and it pulled it in. I want to be able to also avoid transitive dependencies like that for the sake of my build size. If I have no intention of using Facebook in my, in my project. Yeah. That, that's that's a fair point as well. I'm hoping the community can kind of solve this one somehow on its own. But it, it, it was definitely interesting. 
yeah, I guess that was, uh, Slava also asked me like, how does the rails community compare to, to the meteor community, like the early days of the rails community. And, you know, I said in here, I think it's friendlier, a lot friendlier, a lot more open and accepting, um, for the most part. And that is pretty awesome. It's also a lot more international, which is a little surprising to me. That's I cool. Yeah. So actually it's not a little, it's actually a lot. Um, it's very, yeah. So that's, that's actually kind of interesting to me. Um, because most of the people, you know, when you, when you're doing something like a conference, like most of the people are coming from the U S so you could almost guarantee that you're going to see your friends when you go to like RailsConf. but oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, we don't have a meteor comp, so I guess it's a moot point, but it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, well, yeah. And there was a, a swimming upstream kind of mentality that, you know, characterized the, the early days of the rails community because you were, you know, doing Ruby and, and no one else was. So every new gem you needed need to be written, written in Ruby, mm-hmm. but you know, being able to leverage things like NPM packages that have already solved like the Postgres notification, Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of situation just for example it, it means that like i don't know i think we're, we're having a lot of fun because we get to build on top of a lot of good existing javascript libraries and integrate those in so i don't know i feel like it's pretty fun because we don't necessarily have uh as much burden on our shoulders to to adopt you know parts of the javascript ecosystem into our world so it's yeah pretty cool yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, my other point was, uh, I think it's, it was easier to work with Rails core than it is to work with MDG at this mm. point. I, I think I have more code and more pull requests accepted into Rails than oh, I have yeah. you know, Meteor. Yeah, I'm zero, I, zero at this point, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool for you, Josh. But, I, you know, I think the thing is, like, uh, you should be zero one, right? Like, you've, yeah. you've submitted something that's interesting and, and useful and, uh, you know, like, we need to know how to better work with MDG. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily on us, you know, as developers. Like, we, we want to help, but we need to know what's the best way to do that. And so I'm kind of hoping that MDG will talk about that more at some point. Because, they, you know, now they'll take feature requests in GitHub, but I know, like, if I request a feature and then give you a pull request and it's just going to sit there for a long time, like, that, that, that's a frustrating process. Anyway, it's kind of it. What's your big news, man? Well, announcement that uh, I wanted to make. <laughs> Two jobs ago, I was hired for Ruby and ended up doing something else. Uh, one job ago, in other words, the current job, I was hired for Ruby, but fell in love with JavaScript and Meteor. Nice. Um, but uh, today will be my last day at Opinion Lab. Thanks to Opinion Lab for helping uh, get uh, my Meteor adventures off the ground and sponsoring the meetup. But uh, I am joining forces with Paul Dalman and Ben Strahan and the good peeps of OK Grow. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so that's like that's super exciting to hear because I feel at least partly responsible. Like, you know, both you and Ben took my class, and I feel like you you kind of leveled up your meteor skills a little bit. And you know, at the same time, like been working on the Meteor Club Slack chat room, and everyone's been kind of getting a little closer there. Like Paul's definitely in there, and Ben's in there, and you're in there. So 
I don't know. It, it feels awesome to like see that like organically grow and you guys make that connection and, and things take off. Like it's very uh, gratifying, I guess. So congratulations to you. I think we've officially lost him. I guess I will wrap up the show. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you're interested, you can go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Meteor Club if you'd like to join in the Slack conversation. It's uh, 10 bucks a month. I think, I think good things happen there. And uh, also, if you're interested, I'll, I'll just say this as well. I am running what will likely be my last Master of Meteor class. That's the class I was talking about, Ben and Dean taking. And uh, that class is going to happen at the end of this month. And so if you're interested in the spot, you can go to meteorjs.club and slash learn and you can learn more about it. And then I'm running a class with Sam as well. We're going to do a testing class on August 4th and 5th. Uh, So you can go to meteorjs.club slash testing to find out more information about that, Sam and I decided to drop the price from $8.99 to $5.99. Uh, we can take a few more people into the class as well. That's kind of why the, the price drop came about. If you're looking for that stuff, just go to MeteorJS.club. Uh, as always, you can find us at MeteorPodcast.com. Get th- this show and you can go to podcast.meteorjs.club and get the other show that I've been doing as well Ben. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. This podcast has been a Meteor Club production. You can find out more information about Meteor Club at meteorjs.club. It's pretty easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. Again, that's meteorjs.club. Meteor